Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author, Austin Bay. Welcome, Austin and Jim. It's that time of year for us to do our uh, annual update. Jim, in my mind, the biggest story uh, this last year is China. We've got protests in China. We've got China, their uh, Belt and Road Initiative still going. We've got uh, concentration camps in China. Uh, we've got China espionage. We've got China trade wars. Uh, a lot of the stories this year rotated around China. What What's your thoughts on that? Oh, it's been a bad year for China. The problem is they had a lot of problems that have been stalking them, as it were. And uh, as Murphy's Law puts it, you know, all, all things happen at once when you least expect it. And that's what happened. I mean, Hong Kong was a, was a minor problem. They'd, they've had, you know, up, outbreaks before, but now it's sustained. It's been going on for, what, six months now. Uh, the thing up in the Northwest with the Turks, with the Muslims, uh, that's something they, they thought they had under control until it got a lot of publicity. Uh, they really thought they were, you know, solving that problem because they had the the uh, the Muslim states they did business with, you know, cowed as it were. The Chinese, you know, have a different attitude towards that, uh, and uh, they did, you know, the 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 Muslim states said, well, you know, do we do we ruin our, our profitable business relationship with China, or do we come down on them for you know persecuting our fellow you know Muslims or Turks or whatever? Well, now they're now it's coming out. Uh, on the plus side, they haven't had any more terrorism, and they did have some, but that clampdown, I mean, you know, hey, nothing like throwing all the males in prison for a couple of months or a year to uh, shut down the, uh, you know, the unrest. Uh, but, you know, when it's happening in Hong Kong, and that at the same time, the United States has launches its long, long-feared trade war, uh, you know, counterattack for all the industrial espionage, the uh, cyber war, uh, the basically cheating on, on the trade deals, uh, that's coming home to roost. And at the bottom of all, underlying all this is the weakness of the Chinese economy. In other words, it couldn't come at a worse time. They're sitting on the mountains of, of uh, bad debt. This is a similar to a situation the uh, Japanese had in the 1990s, and the Japanese still haven't recovered from that. Speaking of the Japanese and the South Koreans, with their plummeting populations, because you know, once people become affluent, the women say, well, I don't have to have a bunch of kids. Maybe not at all. Uh, that's going all through Europe. And um, now the Chinese find that the three decades of the one-child rule, it means they're running as labor shortages and a surplus of old folks. And they have a ramshackle, you know, uh, social security system, so to speak. And uh, it's really bad for morale if you if you got a lot of the old folks suffering. Um, so that's something else that's sneaking up on them. But mainly it's the finance, the financial system. I mean, that, as we pointed out before, that's why they haven't cracked down real hard on Hong Kong. But Hong Kong may be, you know, self-destructing uh, of its own volition because I keep hearing, I, you know, I, I do business with people over in Japan, and they're talking about getting a lot of, uh, you know, chatter, as it were, from their, their contacts in Hong Kong. A lot of people are getting out or, or updating their plans to get out, you know, get a second uh, passport somewhere else. 
Um, and, uh, you know, that's going to hurt them real bad because they can't easily replace that. Uh, even with the special relationship and everything, what made Hong Kong uh, special was that it, it basically played by Western rules, business rules. The rest of China, you had to have the right contacts. You know, you go to the local courts and it depends on who the judge is buddies with. Uh, and a lot of people are bailing out of China. Uh, shutting down factories, moving them elsewhere, a big time. This is a huge thing. Now, this was a long time coming because there was this labor shortage in China. Labor rates have been rising, and it suddenly people did the numbers, and they said, you know, it's cheaper to go to Vietnam or Cambodia or Thailand or what have you. And those countries who are never on, are never on great terms with China because China is the, the local hegemon, as it were, the local empire, and the empire is restless and seeking to, you know, rectify borders and claim un, un, unoccupied territory, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, schadenfreude, you know, uh, uh, quiet joy at the problems that China is having and you know it's payback time that's where the Belt and Road is running into problems because uh, that Belt and Road is run with a lot of individual entrepreneurs you know I mean there are there are government uh, support financial and otherwise for the Belt and Road initiative but the local deals are made with in you know Chinese companies that are, are really aren't under the tight control of the state uh, and they basically go for the best deal for them. And, of course, the locals say, see, that's China looking out for the best thing for China. But, you know, it's just a bunch of sh- savvy businessmen, you know, out to make what they can off the locals. And the locals have wised up to that. And a lot of these deals are stalled. Uh, they're in renegotiation. We've reported on that as far as Thailand goes because there was a lot of them ramming, trying to run their way through Thailand. And the Thais forced them to renegotiate several times uh, into more advantageous terms for the for the Thais. Same thing in Burma. Um, so, you know, China is basically having a rough time. In fact, something else, I think, I don't know if we put this bit out there yet on their, on their naval budget. They've had to cut back on the naval budget. The government was never happy about the Navy demanding more money, more ships, overseas bases. China had never done that before. They were always a continental power. So this is totally alien to them. Uh, but the admirals pointed out, look, we, we're now, for the first time in our history, we're dependent on imports. This was never the case before. And what they're most dependent upon is oil. They are the biggest importer of oil. Uh, they try to develop local resources, sources, but they, they can't. They're buying natural gas from Russia, but that's going slowly. you got to build the pipelines. So at the moment, the Chinese are in bad shape, and they basically told the admirals, you're not going to have a big carrier fleet anytime soon. So they're apparently going to stop at four. And the Leo Lang, the first one, the one that's the old converted Russian carrier, uh, is going to be turned into a combat ship as well as a training ship. Uh, that's another problem they have, and we've been reporting this, is that they've had problems, a lot of problems. Uh, you know, niggly little stuff. I and mean, you think we're having problems with the Ford and, you know, the new uh, replacement for the Nimitz-class carriers. Well, the Chinese have had it a lot worse. Um and they've also had problems getting crews. Again, the labor shortage, new generation coming up. They don't really have conscription. Technically, they have conscription, but basically the Chinese military has been all volunteer for a long time. Uh, but now, 
when you can get a good job, you know, in the civilian, uh, you know, area, uh, especially educated people, they simply don't want to join, the, especially the Navy. You know, the Army, you get to stay in one place, be with a family, et cetera, et cetera. But the Navy is all about, you know, taking these long voyages, going to, you know, basically being away from home for a long time. And they're not getting the young officers they need for a carrier fleet, especially. It's not just the carriers, but you got about 10 other combat and support ships that got to go along with it, especially since these are oil powered uh, carriers. Uh, they require a lot more oilers to accompany them if they're going to stay out there for any length of time. And uh, they did the numbers and they said, look, it's just not adding up for us. And now with the Americans, you know, beating us against the. Uh, beating us up and upside the head about, you know, a trade. Um, we cannot afford uh, to basically pay for all this oil and pay for other imports uh, and, and support this big Navy. So the, the big Chinese Navy is on hold for a while. But anyway, yes, in general, it's been a bad year for China. But actually, it's been a good year for the rest of the world. Uh, overall trends in terms of violence. I mean, China has always been a potential threat. You know, they're, they're, they're building a bigger saber and rattling it, but they haven't actually fired on anybody yet. Uh, they're all what they might do, could do. Um, but in the places where there is a war going on, it's gone down. The peak year for what we call terrorism-related deaths uh, was 19, uh, 2014, where it was about 35,000. This year, it's down from that, from that peak by about two-thirds. And it's can I mean, in 2018 it shrank 15 percent, and it looks like it's shrinking more this year. Uh, that is, and a lot of this terrorism is not really terrorism; it's just you know local uh, yeah, conflicts uh, with a veneer of you know Islamic defending Islam. Usually, it's defending Islam from fellow Muslims, but that's another story. The um, so you have Syria settling down. Uh, there'll be one more massacre up in Idlib, Idlib province where the last bunch of uh, <coughs> Islamic terrorist groups are. In fact, I, I did an update. We haven't published it yet about the more details about the uh, Baghdadi raid that took him out. It turns out we get a lot of valuable information from the various factions uh, that you know uh, Baghdadi thought he was safe with. Uh, inside of uh, uh, Idlib province. He had a number of safe houses there, but there are a lot of people who didn't like ISIL. Uh, basically, they don't do this out loud, like they blame the United States for everything, but they're blaming ISIL for a lot of their woes. I mean, ISIL, to a lot of Muslims, is an enemy of Muslim, is Islam, a threat. And indeed it was. Um, and, is, and ISIL is still operating, but... They've had a lot of people who are basically going back to their, their former groups in, in Idlib province. This was uh, other al-Qaeda-type uh, al uh, operations. And uh, the uh, Kurds and the, um, the Turks have informants, in the, and Syrians too, uh, have informants in those in Idlib province they can get information out of. Cell phones are wonderful. And... Um, and they basically got some of the key tips that allowed us to uh, pinpoint where Baghdadi was and carry out that raid successfully. Uh, and that's going to pay us dividends in going in the future because any place where ISIL is operating, there are more and more disaffected ISIL members who are, again, willing to do the unthinkable, you know, five years ago, and that is rat out, you know, the caliphate. Um, 
The other problem is, and again, we're getting back to future wars. We still have problems with the what I call the failing or failed states. In fact, we have the wars update this year is uh, is going into the confluence, the confluence, as it were, of the of the many different factors which produce a failed or failing state, and that means high corruption, uh, low uh, social welfare. And basically, you know, uh, an abundance of terrorism. And, of course, it's not always terrorism for religious purposes. A classic example, which we've been covering regularly for years, is the Fulani people. That's an ethnic group of uh, tribes, as it were. There's about 20 million of them, I think, uh, throughout Africa. They're one of the Sahel, you know, the semi-desert area uh, below the Sahara that transitions into, you know, hit the Niger River and, and basically tropical Africa where there's more water. The, uh, they've been moving down because there's been a population explosion uh, in Africa, well, actually ever since the, the, the 8th, 20th century when modern medicine got in there, uh, something they don't talk about, the colonial occupation. It basically was great for uh, lowering poverty and increasing the, uh, the population. But anyway, the... Um, the Fulani have been the most aggressive. Now, they're still kill, killing a lot of people, uh, often fellow Muslims, because they are farmers and they won't let the Fulani move in and graze their herds and basically share the water and what have you. Uh, and we, we, we report on that regularly and extensively in Nigeria. Uh, in fact, most of the deaths for the last two years, uh, violence related, you know, violence, terrorism, non religious and religious terrorism deaths in Nigeria have been the due to the Fulani, and most of them are not religion based. I mean, a lot of it when, when it's when it's uh, when it's Muslim against Muslim, it's basically the herders, the stockmen, uh, Fulani uh, versus Muslim farmers, and you know, religion becomes immaterial when you want pasture and, and water. Uh, so that's something that's going to basically hurt Africa. Africa, as we point out and have pointed out in the past, has a lot of falling states because they never had a lot of states in Africa before the 19th century, before, well, before the 20th century. Because when the colonial powers went in, they established states or colonies where there, there was no nation, as it were, before, just collections of tribes. Uh, the tribes have been disappearing slowly. 60 years ago, 50 years ago, there was about a thousand different ethnic groups in Africa. Now it's down to mm, close to 500 and shrinking. In other words, like in Europe and the rest of the world, China, everywhere, the tribal culture eventually disappeared to be replaced by a nation state or a kingdom, as it were. That is happening in Africa, but it happens very slowly. And that's something else we point out. Afghanistan, people say, well, we should get out of Afghanistan and, you know, somehow... We won't have any problems. Well, you'll have the same problem we had before. We've always had when there's not a united Afghanistan, united in terms of one tribe is allowed to deal with the foreigners and they basically stay out of trouble with the foreigners, uh, which is uh, not 100 percent, but, you know, just enough so the foreigners don't say we got to go in there and burn the place down. Um, it was fairly stable, and it was that way, you know, throughout the 18th, 19th, and, and into the 20th century. But now you've got the religious angle, and basically you've got the support of Pakistan. Pakistan is the main reason you had the Taliban in Afghanistan. That's something people have only started to realize. We recognized it, you know, 
over a decade ago, well, two decades ago, when we started, we were reporting Pakistan was always involved in the uh, in the uh, in basically supporting the Islamic terrorists uh, in Afghanistan and the Pakistanis. They say, well, we have to have influence in Afghanistan. They consider Afghanistan a threat. Now, historically it is. There's a mountain range up there called the Hindu Kush. This goes way back before Islam got into India. And Hindu Kush literally means in the local language, death to Hindus. In other words, the people up there in Afghanistan, they felt it was their right to periodically, when they had a couple of years of good crops and what have you, and the population got fat and happy and and, and greedy, they would go down and invade. They go through the corridor throughout is now Pakistan and uh, and then in, into Kashmir and into northern India. Uh, and that's been going on for thousands of years. <clears throat> and, and when people say Afghanistan has never been conquered, that's not true. In the past, when the Silk Road was there, portions of it were occupied for centuries by either the Persians, at what Persians and the Hindus. Um, the Chinese never sent armies that far, but the Silk Road was good for everybody as long as it remained open. And one of the big problem areas was Afghanistan. And so for centuries, uh, it was money. It was the economic need of larger adjacent empires that basically kept uh, Afghanistan largely occupied, pacified, and profitable. But there's no, there's nothing worth you know, economic sense there anymore, unless you count heroin, uh, which most countries don't, including the local nations uh, who, are been, who have suffered the uh, side effects of having millions of addicts, which everybody agrees is a bad thing. Uh, so Afghanistan is a problem that's not going to go away easily. You can say we're going to get out, uh, and our government's trying to, try to, try to negotiate a deal with the, the Taliban, but their big problem is they have to deal with Pakistan, and Pakistan says, well, we're not really involved. So the problem there is, is, a, is more complicated because the people who are most responsible for the problem in the first place deny that they're responsible. Uh, you can see what we're getting into here. Uh, it's, a, it's a problem not because of the people on the ground, but their neighbors. Uh, even the Iranians are willing to basically stay out of uh, Afghanistan. They've got enough problems at home, even in the best of times. Uh, but the Pakistanis feel, again, a nation that was created after, after the British left uh, Southern Asia. Um, and uh, it's never really settled down. And, and, and now that's recognized. I mean, uh, uh, Pakistan is now, the UN has agreed, all right, yes, they're supporters of international terrorism. Uh, they're, out, they're, they're, they're under various economic sanctions or threatened sanctions uh, that you get hit with if you're, if you're nailed as officially as a supporter of, uh, of international terrorism. Uh, they're basically sliding close to it. And in the meantime, Pakistan is going broke because the army controls much of the economy and a lot of the politics. So that is a problem that has been there for a long time, and there's no quick fix to it. So overall, the violence worldwide is going down, but the hot spots, I mean the hot hot spots, are places like Pakistan. You've also got the, you know, the Persian Gulf with Iran and the, and the, and the, and the uh, Gulf Arabs, but again, People there pay attention to the money. 
as I've always as as I always point out to people, you want to find out where the problem is. Follow the money. You can basically avoid those problems up to a point, but after a while, as they're finding out in Iran, where they're having you know they've had two years of on and off you know major demonstrations, which are getting more and more violent and more and more insistent that the uh, Islamic government has to go. Uh, so you're you're basically faced. There's, there's there's a possibility of another civil war in Iran, which has a history of civil wars among the Iranians going back thousands of years. I mean that's how Alexander the Great managed to you know uh, destroy you know conquer Persia because they had a, 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 a string of civil wars. They were weakened. Uh, the Greeks uh, you know were strong militarily. They were ambitious and they just went in and performed a miracle. Well, it really wasn't a miracle. Once you start digging into the details, you find out there was a reason uh, for why it happened. And uh, some of those reasons, like most things in history, are coming around again. Austin, what's your take on uh, 2019? Well, uh, go back uh, to China. I I, I do think uh, China's been a major story, but China's problems are long in uh, the making it's like go look at uh, Deng Xiaoping's opening and reform which uh, set off the Chinese uh, ec- economic revolution he also had the four cardinal principles which basically enshrined party control in other words uh, a dictatorship of the party which uh, would allow uh, to uh, 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 a large degree economic expansion and the appearance of of uh, economic freedom but kept down the political uh, kept kept the political clamps on on the in, entire country and you know they, they played off the the uh, perception that now we're Chinese uh, the wealthier they get they'll still kowtow uh, if the party demands it, if the emperor demands it. And Xi Jinping, at uh, start of uh, this decade, starts making his move to solidify uh, power in one person, himself. That occurs uh, effectively really 20, uh, 2013, but you could see it coming uh, starting uh, 20, uh, uh, 2010 with a solidification of, uh, of uh, his his personal power. And so now you're in a situation where you have yes men telling you what you want to hear because you're so powerful and you're going to run the economy like that. I'm sorry. Yeah, you go back to the the benefit of free enterprise. Forget capitalism. That's made up to uh, compare as if it were a system run uh, from the top down like uh, uh, like socialism uh, is. Uh, it's yeah, You have all these little errors in both systems, but the little errors get corrected in free enterprise because you've got individuals running their own businesses. For the most part, they don't build up. In China, they've been building up just like they uh, did in the uh, Soviet Union, and then they clash with Hong Kong is exemplifies that clash between uh, political and freedom and free enterprise, and the kind of pseudo free enterprise and uh, authoritarianism. 
and it's not outright totalitarianism you have uh, in uh, in the the People's Republic. Uh, same kind of issue uh, permeates the uh, issue of Taiwan, uh, which you know the lost province, according to uh, uh, Beijing, and the, that's it, it's it's becoming what it was prior to uh, let's say. Uh, 2005, when it, it moderated for a bit, the, the, the Taiwan Strait situation is a frozen war again. It, you can make an argument that it was never not a, a frozen war. But th- what's gone on in Hong Kong has reinforced Taiwan's uh, will to, to resist and even stoked uh, a larger percentage of the people on the island who want uh, uh, independence from China or they'll get, and this is the way uh, I've heard it expressed, of course it's in English, they'll get Hong Konged, meaning they'll get undermined in the way that the, the Sino-British uh, Treaty that set the rules on Hong Kong, supposedly set the rules on Hong Kong, has been uh, eroded by uh, Red China, uh, really starting since uh, 2002, 2003, and the people of Hong Kong could see it. Now, why I'm going I- into this in more detail th- than Jim did is that this is a, one of the many problems that China faces. They just th- they just thought that they had the, the the communists thought they had it under control, and Hong Kong tells them that they don't. And if they can put two uh, people's armed police mech uh, divisions in Shenzhen right across the border, and they still hadn't cowed uh, uh, Hong Kong. They've got intelligence agents uh, inside Hong Kong, you know, but and they still haven't calmed it down. And one of the things that to look for, uh, the claims are that it's already occurred, is. Um, sympathy for Hong Kong uh, throughout the rest of Guangdong province, where Canton is. Uh, it is a Canton, the Guangdong, uh, which is has, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Jim, I believe I'm right. I think it still has the highest per capita income. Yes, uh, as a province, and it, and and Dan, yeah, I know. Yes, it's a it's a yes plus because uh, that's throughout. Uh, the entire province, you have these other highly uh, successful in in terms of uh, income uh, locations around uh, Shanghai, Beijing, uh, some other uh, other places associated with with uh, information technology, uh, universities, uh, uh, and the like, and the and 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 governmental uh, governmental institutions, research institutions, but. Guangdong is, sits there because it's really got a close, closer to a modern economy, and it has had the free enterprise import and export uh, connection right there with Hong Kong. And so that's, again, uh, are, would the Reds, communists, kill the golden goose? They were in the process of strangling it because the authoritarian 
impulse, the four cardinal principles, was it still in control of opening and reform? I'm being a little bit uh, glossy with that, but you go back and look at the contradictions right there when Deng, Deng Xiaoping issued his. We're going to modernize, and he used Zhou Enlai as a, as a resource on it because Joe had said at one of the uh, party congresses, I think it was 75, that we had we had to catch up in in terms of uh, economic uh, and uh, and military uh, modernization, uh, and it was obvious that they ha- had to. Uh, and they so when Dong takes over, he's says that you know here's the the great uh, foreign minister and and Mao's right hand man had had blessed this That's smart politics, F- but. He had, at the same time, Dung says, no, the cardinal principles, the, car, uh, the party remains in, in control. Now, that's at the social, <clears throat> social and political level, moves into the economics as well. Jim talked about some of the uh, other uh, issues they've had uh, with uh, their military. I would say, too, that uh, last year, but definitely this year, uh, uh, Beijing came to the realization that their artificial island program in the South China Sea, their uh, strategy of bilateral bullying, in other words, we're going to beat up on, on Vietnam, we're going to beat up on the Philippines, we're going to beat up on, the, on Malaysia, we'll beat up on Indonesia uh, and buy off Cambodia, all on our own, it's us against one. And, and then it might be us against three uh, small nations. But the U.S., we, it's not that we weren't backing them, but we were belated, very belated, in uh, objecting to the militarization, the imminent militarization of those uh, islands. They, they were completely uh, false uh, and fake. In 2016... Uh, the uh, Hague Arbitration Court ruled that uh, China had violated the UN uh, uh, Conventional Law of the Sea, unclose treaty, when they uh, uh, really invaded with construction barges and Coast Guard vessels uh, the Philippines' uh, exclusive economic zone and, and built one of these uh, islands. And <clears throat> the Philippines filed charges on them. Uh, I think it was 2013 officially, and uh, the ruling comes out in 2016, and the Philippines gets 98 percent or 99 percent of what uh, uh, of their claim, including uh, illegal fishing, theft, uh, and and China just ignores it. And what does the United States do? Well, we start at the time using uh, the, the Shangri-La Defense Conference to try to form a coherent uh, political and uh, quasi-military defense organization uh, out of ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian uh, Nations. We've increased our, uh, we began increasing, this is 2014, 2015, uh, operations in the South China Sea uh, with uh, Australia. And uh, something up with Japan. Japan is now running its own patrols in 
in the in the in the South China, uh, China Sea. But it was all un, until really 2017. And that's a new administration, by the way. China was uh, still pushing. They they thought that uh, they had the money, they had the political prowess. Uh, the United States was weak and in in retreat. And uh, not only did uh, we start showing what the the Quad, as it's called, that's had been building that the quad is is uh, Japan, Australia, U.S. and India. That China's bullying had uh, moved India into a really a, a, a quasi alliance with the United States and Japan. They had already had an alliance bilateral or trilateral with Singapore and Australia, effectively in terms of, of mil- military cooperation. So. Now that's huge push pushback. I know we're talking about 2019, uh, and you can say, "Wait a minute, Austin, that that, that quad is really uh, appearing in 2017 and 2018." Yeah, but I think it's hardens up uh, uh, this year. We're now officially, which no longer Pacific Command, PACOM. It's Indo-Pacific Command. Uh, that's a uh, that's another uh, how to clamp on China is what uh, uh, is what that amounts to. And, and Jim covered the the trade war aspect. Uh, the uh, U.S. trade war has not only uh, done more to, uh, to produce uh, we, we to begin to produce a fair trade regimen between the United States uh, and China. It's shown China how economically uh, uh, fragile it, it, it is, and that's uh, is, is is that a war? I think I think it is, Dan. I think it certainly counts as uh, 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 as a a conflict, and it's something that has had degrading effects on China's ability to use its power to. Uh, bully other nations in the region, and it's uh, given, I think, uh, Beijing second thoughts about how their authoritarian model was going to replace. I know this is made up, but this is something they used: the liberal international order, which was kind of uh, their their latest term for uh, for uh, the, the post World War Two. Trading system largely policed by the U.S. Navy, uh, and you know, po- policed in a in a in a benign uh, benign fashion. And I say policed by the U.S. Navy, meaning that uh, free trade on the seas is guaranteed and protected, and not and re- and and, re- and recognized. And the uh, U.S. Navy being the largest uh, uh, naval and international naval force, even though you could easily see another 30 navies 30 nations that uh, uh, with uh, naval power to uh, to support it I, I also I'll, I've, I've, I've concentrated on China Jim went uh, went worldwide there's a recent uh, column of mine where I talked about protests and uh, extended protests through 2019 uh, Iraq is it that a, is that a, a war well it's a 
got elements of an interior civil war, a popular movement against a corrupt government. Corruption, Jim. There we go. Uh, <laughs> Iran, as pointed out, December 2017 is when all these these uh, demonstrations started. We even covered that last year. I think I've written about three columns on Iranian. Uh, and the third, this, the third one is not very long. The one that I just mentioned in a paragraph, but those are pretty, uh, pretty insistent. And yes, you hear this now in in the open. It's so it's so prevalent they can't uh, shut it down. They, they they don't want the Islamic revolutionary regime anymore. Why? It's crooked, utterly crooked. And all they do is take the money that they got from that piece of. <sighs> slop uh, the uh, nuclear deal supposedly and then they spin it on wars in Yemen and in Syria they didn't rebuild or put it into infrastructure and uh, infrastructure meaning in, in this case there are a half dozen good sized cities in Iran right now that have intermittent water or even polluted water because they haven't uh, 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 taken care of their water systems. Uh, there's a, a situation, It's it's been somewhat mitigated, but during the summer, where they were bringing in water from Iraq <laughs> into a couple of Western Iranian uh, cities. And, and, you know, it's does Iraq have water? Yeah, actually it does. The, the Tigris and Euphrates uh, 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 rivers. So there's... Those were were two. I also mentioned Algeria, even though that's been pretty bloodless. It's fascinating to watch this long running, really since last February, uh, series of continual uh, demonstrations. Uh, Again, why? The government's crooked. Uh, it's a, co- a, a common uh, theme here, and, and I, I, in that uh, I mentioned uh, Hong Kong uh, prominently, also Venezuela and Bolivia. Now, Venezuela was is a, a stalled civil war. Bolivia avoided one, but what was the problem? What's the problem in both of those places? Bolivia, a fraudulent election by Evo Morales, the socialist president who was trying to make himself president for life, and uh, he wasn't strong enough to maintain security control and therefore ultimately resign. He's now in exile in Mexico. But it's <clears throat> government corruption. And Venezuela, well, uh, you've got a f- utterly failed dictatorship that's as crooked as it can be. It may- it's maintained in power because uh, Maduro has a security apparatus advised and in some cases funded by uh, Russia and, uh, and Cuba. China's also active uh, there in Venezuela. And that, that's, that, that's what I covered in that column. I could have included Burundi and Congo. Congo still got uh, four or five little wars that take uh, a half dozen to, to, to a dozen lives a week. So over the period of a year, you're going to have 500 people, 600 people. It's it's no longer 8,000 to 10,000, but over the year, uh, six, uh, 600, 800, 1,000 people killed in these small uh, uh, conflicts. Burundi's a frozen civil war, 
uh, and it's uh, likely to explode uh, explode again. And they have protests going on in both Congo and Burundi. Uh, Congo, they tend to be ignored. In Burundi, they're put down uh, b- uh, by the government. So uh, I didn't include them because of the of the of the absolutely fractious nature in both uh, Congo and Burundi. But they have the potential for exploding into something again into something larger uh, than they are uh, right now. I, Jim covered Afgan- Afghanistan and. And uh, Yemen continues, Dan. It's there's uh, all these moves, diplomatic moves, and they've been going on really since uh, mid uh, 2018 to come to some kind of new uh, agreement, a new settlement, so that everybody can kind of sort of withdraw the the Houthis to their mountain fastness and and extract something out of the oil industry, and uh, the Southerners can be placated. I'm talking about Aden and the uh, area in the south. Instead of becoming a a new southern Yemen, and Sana'a can return to being the capital, and the Emiratis and the Saudi coalition can completely, completely withdraw, even though parts of the UAE is withdrawn, and some of its troops in Sudan, uh, in the last uh, two months, uh, dropped its uh, contingent down to about 5,000 troops, and they intend to have them out, if not by the, <laughs> if not by the end of this month, which is coming upon us fast, sometime uh, uh, next year. And and part of that had to do with uh, I should have included that Sudan was one of the uh, 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 revolutions, protest revolutions that uh, I covered in that. Uh, in that column for this for this week, there was a one that if you look at the number of lives that were lost in uh, in the civil disturbances, understand the protests that ultimately toppled toppled Omar al Bashir. You can see elements of them right uh, in in late 2018, but it really starts to collect in uh, January, February of, uh, of, uh, of 2019. And by April, amazingly enough, uh, a, a military coup uh, topples Bashir. But th- there were several uh, instances of, uh, of scores and uh, 100 uh, scores dead here, 100 dead there, and including that massacre of June 3rd, which was a huge mistake on the part of the uh, security forces, probably done by Rapid Support Force Militia. You can read that in, in our Sudan uh, updates. They're uh, a government-controlled uh, uh, <laughs> thug gang is what it amount, amounts to. Uh, that, that generated a, a, throughout Sudan a, a, a t- reaction by the uh, civilians that ultimately led to this sovereign council which is uh, about half, <clears throat> is half, half civilian and, and half military, and uh, a, a remarkable uh, prime minister, a civilian economist by the name of uh, Hamdok, who's proved to be a very, very svelte uh, politician. And it's one of the things he's done is, is withdraw the troops from, from Yemen, <clears throat> because uh, that was something that even the, 
elements of the Sudanese army kind of liked it, but a lot of the people in Sudan, why are we doing this? Simply because the Saudis are giving us money? A lot of the money had gone to Bashir and his cronies. Again, corruption was one of the, is still one of the driving issues in Sudan. <clears throat> but I don't know what the entire death toll is. Maybe Jim's got a, a, a handle on it. But it's not, not talking about what's going on in Darfur. They're still having Darfur. The two areas, South Kordofan and Blue Nile uh, states, still have mild insurgencies going on. But in terms of the revolution, maybe a thousand dead. Uh, and rather remarkable, given that it's, uh, it's Sudan. Uh, I guess I'm saying that that uh, is uh, uh, one of the uh, one of the more more interesting uh, civil conflicts because didn't break into renewed civil war. Understand that there are two areas where civil wars are going on within Sudan, but uh, one of the more promising ones, especially the removal of a dictator that had been in power 30 years. So that that's got that's got to go on the chart somewhere, Jim. It does. Yeah. I think one last thing to keep in mind, and we'll be covering this in the Wars Update, what you're seeing happen in China, and to a lesser extent in Russia, is the return of fascism. I mean, I'm talking about fascism in the classic sense, where you basically had a free enterprise, a market economy. That's what you had in Germany and in, in Italy uh, and Japan during World War II. But you had a dictatorship, uh, uh, basically governing under various, you know, one election, one time, whatever. Uh, China has evolved into the same thing. The uh, the Chinese Communist Party, like the national, like the the Nazi Party. Remember the the, the official name of the uh, the the, uh, the Nazis was the the German, you know, the uh, National Socialist Workers Party. Uh, the Chinese have the same thing under the guise of being communist, but basically they have uh, with the reforms in the eighties, they've created a free market, but under state control sometimes heavy-handed state control. But as Austin points out, when the, when the state gets too heavy-handed in, in basically trying to mold the economy, they make it less efficient and, and more prone to failure. Uh, but China is the classic case. Like Germany, they're looking for their, their dignity, as it were, and they're also looking for, as the Germans call it, Lebensraum, you know, living room. Uh, China really needs it. Uh, and uh, they be, and Russia's well aware of that because uh, China has claims on most of the Russian Far Eastern territories. In other words, the whole coastal Pacific coast area that China, that Russia has controlled for uh, over a century. Um, and so the Chinese are basically uh, have an unelected government, a market economy, and uh, they're trying to use nationalism uh, as a way to hold the country together, united. And of course, that led to World War II. Uh, and the Chinese are acutely aware of the history. I'll give them that. Uh, they they know this. I mean, there are there are some Chinese are throwing around the the term Nazis in the classic sense. I mean, not just the you know you're I don't like you you're a Nazi, uh, and uh, and that was and that was a basically a recipe for you know uh, wide scale warfare because when you're basically depending upon uh, loose control of a market economy, which means you've got a fairly powerful economy, and claims on your neighbors because you need resources, um, that triggers a war. In fact, world, uh, historically, I did a book like on this, you know, uh, back in the 80s called How to Stop a War. Uh, we analyzed hundreds of wars, and we found out the, the major cause of all wars was territorial, uh, you know, disputes. Uh, people, again, needed 
living resources, farmland, water, you name it. Um, and uh, and even though China has got its population under control and it can't get it going again, they still have a huge population. Uh, they still have a fairly high uh, poverty rate in the out in the hinterlands. Um, and the and the and the uh, basically the the local Nazis, the Chinese Communist Party, they're losing control. They don't want to lose control. They've, they've done very well uh, with their little racket. Uh, but these things don't last forever. And, of course, as Churchill pointed out, democracy is a terrible form of government except for all the others. Uh, Churchill basically saw, you know, what we're seeing now, but in Europe. Uh, so the curse is still around, and it's back in China. And everybody, including most Chinese, don't want a major water breakout to basically break the back of the uh, the basically thriving for the moment uh, Chinese fascism. I think I think that's a good place to stop on that, uh, Dan, because Jim's absolutely right. The thing is, though, if we, we're calling them national socialists now, a lot of ways they've been that all along. They just oh, played yes. this game. Oh, yes. It's a uh, transfer and we're not Nazis. Uh, national socialists. Yeah, you are. <laughs> No, I'm just All pointing right. out. I mean, that's 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 the classical, you know, uh, how should I put it, uh, nonpartisan uh, description of what the, uh, yeah. the what, we, what we call the fascist in World War II. Since then, it's just become a way to, you know, cuss somebody without, you know, getting censored on TV. All right. Right. Well, we'll be meeting next time. Uh, we'll be talking about what's coming in the next year in 2020. Talk right. to you Take next care. time. Bye, bye, bye. guys.